Well, it's great to be speaking to you guys today. Why don't you turn with me to 1 Peter 3 in your Bibles or on your phones? Um, This is my first time back preaching with you for about six months since having baby Jem. And I don't think I've ever preached on as little sleep. So do bear with me. If I trip over my words a little bit, that's why. But I am actually today going to be talking about what it looks like to live in a radical Christian community where there's grace for one another. So I really believe that Jesus has grace for me today, as do you guys. So we're in 1 Peter 3. Now, At the beginning of this chapter, there is a little bit of language which can be quite sort of provocative and maybe a bit distracting. We will address that at the beginning um, of my sermon. But also, once you look past that, this chapter is very much about being a good person, how to behave well as Christians. So before we begin and read it, I just want to remind us of what Ben preached on a couple of weeks ago about being chosen for holiness. He told us that our identity is not achieved through what we do, but it is freely received. So our salvation is not based on being a really good person. We are already saved. We are already chosen. And therefore, we try our best to act in a certain way. So just remember that as we read. Let's have a read of it together. Chapter three. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Finally, All of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. It's no small ask from Peter there for us this morning. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insults. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience 
so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from your body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. This is the word of the Lord. So we are in a sermon series at the moment about being a chosen people. This week, we're looking at being chosen for good. And I think what God has been speaking to me about in this chapter is about what it looks like to live in a community where everyone is trying to do that, where everyone is trying to treat each other with honour and respect, and how that in itself can be a way of showing people Jesus. So... It's all really about being selfless, putting others first and putting yourself last. And we're going to look at three different ways that we can try and be a selfless people as Jesus was selfless. One, radical humility. Two, radical love. And three, radical hope. So we're going to start with radical humility, which is what we're being called to in verses one to seven. Now, in these verses, I know, as I said before, there's some language here that I just want to grapple with. And I could talk about this for hours and hours and hours. I'm going to try and do it as briefly as possible. But there's a book that I'm going to quote from later by Dr. Lucy Pepiat. Really recommend having a read of that if you want to explore more about the way that women are presented in the Bible. Um, So, firstly, in verse 3, your beauty should not come from outward adornment. It sounds a little bit like Peter's saying we're not allowed to wear nice clothes or jewellery. Well, I'm wearing gold earrings today and I have a lovely fine M&S jumper on. It's not that we aren't allowed to dress in a certain way or wear certain things, as both women and men. But what Peter is trying to remind us of here is that actually God cares more about your spirit, verse 4, than he does about what you look like on the outside. Okay, that's really important. He cares about where your heart is at, not about how you appear to other people. Then in verse four, Peter suggests that we should be gentle and quiet as women. But this does not mean weak and it does not mean silence. I want to draw your attention really quickly to verse 15 later on in the chapter where Peter instructs us all men and women married and single alike to act with gentleness and respect so this isn't just for women it's not just for married women this is for us all we should all be a gentle people and 
in Matthew 5, Jesus himself is described as gentle. So gentleness doesn't mean being quiet. It does not mean being weak. Jesus shows us that gentleness and power are absolutely compatible. Um, Next up, the weaker partner. So this is in verse 7. Um, Peter is talking to husbands here, treating their wives with respect as the weaker partner. And if we look at the full verse, really important, he goes on to say, treat them as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. So husbands and wives, men and women alike, are equal in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are co-heirs together of the kingdom of God. Weaker partner can often be, like lots of commentaries translate it as like physically weaker. So they're talking about a physical form that is weaker than a male physical form. But Lucy Pepiat, which I mentioned earlier, gives us some quite good insight into this. I just want to read an extract from her book. It's called Rediscovering Scripture's Vision for Women. I have it on me. So if anyone wants to come and have a look at it later, just let me know. Um, She says this. Anyone with any sense of the role that women play in society or any knowledge of history will know for certain that women are not weaker than men in crucial ways, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, as well as in terms of physical stamina and pain thresholds. It's making me remember having given birth to Jeremiah just five months ago. Any Christian of the first 300 years would have been well aware of this as they will have watched both men and women go to their deaths as martyrs for the gospel. There are ways, however, that women are weaker than men, often generally physically, but especially if they have been weakened or disempowered by a system of set beliefs. Although there are some notable examples of powerful women in the ancient world, on the whole, women were socially, economically, politically, and educationally disadvantaged in comparison to men. In this context, the teaching we find in the Bible directed at men calls them to the necessity of elevating women to their level. And today, the increased awareness of domestic abuse, and the prevalence of sexual abuse and harassment for nearly all women raises concerns about women in a weakened and disempowered position in our society. In addition to this, women are almost universally at the mercy of men's physical strength and in most cultures in the world at the mercy of men's economic and political strength. Perhaps then, it is not so offensive to find that the Bible recognises certain disadvantages that women face and exhorts men to make every effort to redress the balance. Okay, we're going to look back at verse 1 now. We're going to talk about submission, which is the last sort of slightly controversial thing. But believe me, it is not offensive when you really consider what it means. And this is where we really start getting to the heart of radical humility. Here, Peter is talking specifically about wives and husbands. But if you are not married, don't think that this is your moment to tap out because this is absolutely relevant for us all. And I'll explain why in a moment. So submission means to align yourself below somebody else in rank. Okay, we can't avoid it. That's what it means. Yes, wives should submit to their husbands. And I really do believe that. 
Submission is an active part on the choice of the person doing the submitting. So you can't make somebody else submit to you. That is oppression. And often why we misunderstand the word submission. So I can't make somebody else submit to me. I'm a leader in my workplace, um, one of the department leads. I can't force other people to do what I say. As Christians, we have to choose to be submissive and to pay attention to authority. So you'll notice that in verse one, it says wives in the same way submit. So it's referring back to chapter two. Adam and Lee spoke to us on chapter two last week. It's important to think about what Peter has just said. And actually, he's just given the example of Jesus's submission. His point at the end of chapter two is Jesus, the son of God himself, the most powerful human being to ever have walked on this earth with the most authority, Jesus chose to submit to Roman authorities and be led to the cross. So Jesus is making himself last, putting his own priorities last so that he can put us first. He knows that he is about to go and experience one of the most painful deaths you could experience as a human being on the cross. But he lays that aside, knowing that he is doing it for us. So we are called as wives to submit in the same way, to put ourselves last and put our husbands first. Now, the revolution that comes here is actually in verse seven. Women would have been expected to, or wives particularly, would have been expected to submit to their husbands. That wasn't unusual in the patriarchal culture that Peter's writing in. But the fact that then Peter goes on in verse seven to say, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your lives, treat, uh, wives, sorry, treat them with respect and as heirs with you. That is really, really radical. So this reminds me of the picture that Paul paints in Ephesians 5 of what it looks like to live in a community where we all submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This isn't just about wives submitting to husbands and husbands considering their wives. In Ephesians 5, he tells us, Paul tells us, we should all submit to one another. And then he goes on to list various pairings in society where there is an assumed like hierarchical rank. So he talks about wives and their husbands. He talks about parents, uh, children and their parents. And he talks about slaves and their masters. And in each of those pairings, he says, yes, wives, you should submit to your husbands, but actually husbands, you should do the same. Yes, children, you should honour your parents, but parents, you should honour your children too. Servants, yes, you need to prioritise your master, but actually masters, you need to prioritise your servants too. So 1 Peter 3 and the teachings of Paul combined paint this picture of a beautifully harmonious community as a church. Okay, we're living in a community where actually we all choose to put ourselves last and put the other first. And by extension, that means that everybody's needs are met, right? If Daisy is choosing to submit to Ella, Ella is choosing to submit to me, I am choosing to submit to Daisy. Actually, we are all going to meet one another's needs. We are all going to feel loved. We're all going to feel fulfilled. We are all going to feel like part of an amazing community. And yes, I know 
We're not perfect. And there are plenty of times where we need to ask for forgiveness for not doing that well. And we need to remember that there's grace for us, that we can get that wrong at times. But this is the culture that Peter is establishing as the church, as a Christian community. We should be radically humble and lesser ourselves so that we can put others first. Okay, C.S. Lewis talks about humility as not thinking of yourself less, but I've lost it. Not thinking of yourself less, but thinking Yeah, there we go. Thank you, Ben. (laughs) Not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. There we go. I got there in the end. This is what sleep deprivation does to your brain. So it's not saying that we have to submit as Christians to others because we are lesser, because we are weaker, because we are quieter. Okay, it's saying that we submit because we want to elevate other people in the same way, modelling ourselves on Jesus who submitted at the cross so that he could elevate us to being co-heirs with him of the kingdom of God. Okay, where am I up to? So we've got radical humility and I've talked about that in the context of Christians living together and us doing church together as St. Thomas's, which is beautiful because we are all trying to trust one another and we're all trying to meet the needs of one another and that looks wonderfully harmonious. But what does it look like when we are called to respond in the same way to people who don't know Jesus? When there is no guarantee that people might respond in the same way and try and put you first as you put them first. So we're not just called to radical humility together, but we are called to a radical love that is outward looking. We're called not just to love one another, but to radically love people who don't know Jesus, who aren't yet part of our church family, and to put them first above ourselves, even though you may receive uh, some sort of suffering or persecution or harassment or nothing in return. So in verse nine, Peter teaches us to repay evil with evil, not sorry, to repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but to repay evil with blessing. Now, we've already had an example of what it looks like to love a non-Christian in the marriage example in verses one to seven. The wife is being asked to submit to her husband, to put herself last and put her husband first, even though he doesn't know Jesus, so that he might be won over for the kingdom. Okay, so out of worship for God, he will recognise that she is a wonderfully humble person and see Jesus through that. We're actually all being called to do the same in a broader context outside of marriage. When someone does something evil against you, we are not called to rebel or retaliate, but to humble ourselves, to make ourselves last and to put them first and actively not just forgive them, but bless them, do something kind and loving towards them. Now, often when I read this verse, the word evil in verse nine, I tend to think that it has to be something profoundly wicked. So I found myself reading this and thinking, oh wow, it would be really, really hard to forgive a murderer. But thankfully, that's not relevant for my life and I don't have to, so we'll carry on with the rest of the chapter. But actually, the Greek word for evil here, I don't know if I'm saying this right, but it's kakon or something like that. And it means evil in the widest sense. 
So it's not just profoundly wicked things, but actually small bad things that we face day to day as well. So let's put it in perspective. You are hanging out with a group of friends, they're not Christian, and there is one friend who is one of those people where you're kind of friends with because they're friends with your friends, but you never really hang out together, just the two of you, and they always make you the butt of their joke, every time. And it starts to kind of feel personal because they're constantly making fun of you, the way you live your life as a Christian, the way that you dress, the fact that you don't drink as much as others, etc. My natural inclination in that situation, just to be really honest, is I would first go and complain about them behind their backs to all of my friends and be like, oh, I can't believe they just constantly make fun of me. And then the second thing that I would do, and it's not very beautiful, but here we have it, I would seize the next opportunity to publicly humiliate them in turn, right? I would be waiting to make a joke at their expense so that I could level that playing field. But... As Christians, we are not called to act that way. We are being called to repay that insult, that injustice with blessing. So what would it look like if instead I decided to cook that person a meal or instead I decided to buy them a drink or instead every time that they made me the butt of their joke and they poked fun at me, I did something outrageously kind and loving at my own personal cost. This is what we are being called to. And why are we being called to it? Because we can then win people over for the kingdom. Because who, it says this in verse sort of 13 to about 16, who could look at you and think and speak maliciously against you if you're being so relentlessly kind? But some people will, right? Some people will continue to, in this situation, make fun of you, even though you are continually being kind towards them. And then Peter says, well, it is better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. This is verse 17. So in that situation, it is so much better for the situation to get worse because I am doing wonderfully kind things towards somebody than for it to get worse because I've chosen to retaliate and act in a non-loving and a selfish way. So we are called to be people who live in radical humility with one another, where we put each other's needs first. That extends to our relationship with our friends and our family and this city who do not yet know Jesus. We are called to radically love them, to put them first and actively bless them. And we are also chosen for radical hope. So this is the reason why we choose to be selfless. It's the reason we do all of this. We're looking here at verse 18. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous, Jesus, suffered for the unrighteous, that's us, to bring us to God. So we know a hope in the world. We were singing about it this morning in Glorious Day when we were talking about the fact that we were orphaned, we needed shelter, God brought us into his family and protects us. We were broken, God has healed us. We are living in a hope that is incredibly powerful because we know that we are chosen. It doesn't matter what happens to us 
on this earth or what other people think of us on this earth because we know we are chosen and selected by God. We know that we are going to inherit eternal life and that one day we will be living in the kingdom of God in its fullness where there is no pain and no shame and no suffering, but there is joy and peace and complete fulfillment with Jesus. This is what we're living for, right? So why don't we, well, that's the wrong kind of question, but what would it be like if everybody else knew that hope too? This hope is radical because it has the ability, it has the power to abolish the fear and the insecurity that we see so rife in this generation. What would it look like if the city of Newcastle, every single person living here, knew the hope of Jesus Christ and had their identity founded in Jesus? It would be an amazing community to live in. It would be a picture of what heaven is going to be like. This is what we should be striving towards. As St. Thomas's, then, we should be known as a people who are relentlessly humble with one another, relentlessly loving towards our city, so that we can share with the city of Newcastle this life-transforming hope that we know in our lives and desperately want for the lives of our friends and family. And the last thing that I just want to draw us our attention to is in verse 20 to 21, Peter really beautifully shows us how the Old Testament points to Jesus. I could do a whole sermon just on that part because I think that's really, really cool. Um, the way that the Old Testament is basically creating the foundation for Jesus and the cross. It's absolutely amazing. But here he's talking specifically about Noah and the flood. And he's saying that that story points to baptism. Okay, it points to the fact that we, as Christians, will be baptised not just to remove dirt from our body, but to pledge, this is verse 21, to pledge a clear conscience towards God. And that can also be translated as appeal to God for a clear conscience. And that's what I really want to draw our attention to. We've painted this amazing harmonious picture of what it looks like to live in community together and to love our city really well. But the reality is, it's really hard and we're not gonna get it right all the time. But the important thing is that we don't do this in our own strength. We are appealing to God for forgiveness when we get it wrong and we're appealing to God for wisdom and discernment to get it right. So yes, we want to be a people that seek peace and pursue it, as it says here in this chapter, but there is grace for us on the days when we get it wrong. And that's really, really important to remember. Praise God. So I'm going to invite the band back up. And there's a few ways that I want us to respond to this today. But just before I explain those things, I would like to pray for us. So can you stand with me? Lee, would you mind taking Jem? Is that okay? Thank you. So I'll pray. Holy Spirit, come and speak to us. We want our hearts to be open to hear from you as we respond to your word today. 
Holy Spirit, would you encourage us where we need encouraging and would you convict and challenge us where we need challenging? So I think God's been speaking to me about four areas that we might need to respond in this morning. So I'm going to talk through them and if it's relevant for you, make a note of it and then there'll be an opportunity to get prayer. So firstly, um, we need to follow Jesus. That's part of our vision statement here at St. Thomas's Newcastle. And some of us, and I think this is relevant for myself as well, we need to know again the grace of Jesus for when we get it wrong that our identity is not achieved through what we do. Our salvation is not earned, but it is received freely. Secondly, there are people here who felt really inspired by the idea of the radical hope of the gospel. Some of you might need to know that better in your own lives, but particularly, I think there are people here this morning who need to come for prayer on behalf of others people in your lives who you know need the radical transforming hope of Jesus to break through. So there's going to be an opportunity for you to come and stand in prayer with our prayer ministry team on behalf of your friends and family who need the hope of Jesus in their lives. We also were called here at St Thomas's to build community together. And some of us will have been really challenged by what Peter shares about living in humility together, about having a submissive heart, putting yourself last and putting others first. To know that submitting to one another is not a weakness, but it's a strength in our community. And fourthly, we're called to love Newcastle and to be outward looking as a church to bring Jesus to this city and some of you here are desperate to be able to love radically some of you know that there are people that the Holy Spirit is calling to mind for you who God is calling you to bless despite their actions so that's knowing the grace of Jesus for when you get it wrong standing in prayer for a friend who needs to know the hope of Jesus in their lives, growing in humility with your church family and loving radically, blessing someone in your life who you know God is calling you to bless. They're the four areas that I really feel God is speaking to us about. That doesn't mean (laughs) that He's not speaking to you personally too. So we're going to have a time of prayer ministry and worship. Do you want to come up, Brogan? Um, I think that'll be happening over there. Is that right? Yeah, so you can come up for prayer at any point during this worship session. Um, You can also ask people around you in your seats to pray with you. But I would really ask that you don't leave this place without getting prayer. Because what we've heard about today is insanely hard to do. And actually, it's only through the Holy Spirit that we will be able to do it.